Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. What we are going to be doing, at least the plan for now, um, as was floated in a couple of weeks ago in an earlier version of this class, um, is that we are going to try and hopefully succeed at finding a verse in each week's parasha that relates somehow to mental and spiritual health and offer it up and have people ask some kushiot and I'll offer sort of the potential mental, spiritual healthiness aspect to it. And then Rabbi Schatz will bring some more conventional, traditional sources and we'll see where they do or do not overlap. And then we will say, Lehitraot and Shabbat Shalom uh, is the current plan as it stands. Um, I still think Rabbi Shapiro annoys Rabbi Shantz for 35 to 40 minutes is the best title we have seen yet, uh, but we'll see if we can come up with anything else. And we are also fulfilling Rabbi Schatz's longstanding dream of being a, a faculty member on the Temple Betham Center for Spiritual Growth, which she has been... Let me tell you, every, every day she comes into my office and she says, Rabbi Shapiro, pray tell, how can I join the illustrious faculty of, of the Center for Spiritual Growth? Isn't that right, Rabbi Schatz? Sure. Say, pray tell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have prayed and, and told. <laughs> Quit while you're ahead. <laughs> I would have quit a very long time ago. <laughs> Um, Rabbi Shot, anything that I somehow managed to leave out of that very comprehensive and coherent uh, explanation? Um, no, I don't think so. I think this is, it obviously will be, um, you didn't leave this out. I'm just going to expound upon it, but I, it obviously will be different than just a Parsha class in that it'll have kind of more of a, more of a focused element behind the different verses that we choose. So, um, part of what we're hoping to do is really emphasize or um, magnify the elements of each Parsha that actually have to do with mental and spiritual health. Um, and though Rabbi Shapiro is the, uh, the lead faculty on this, you know, there, we all obviously go through different elements of our own mental and spiritual health cycles and, um, and experiences and journeys. And so I think part of what will be interesting is if this does happen for an entire year, you know, how do the different experiences of our own lives also play into some of these verses that we're going to read from, um, and, and how that will also create a cohort around those types of, um, therapeutic sharing and, uh, and exploring together. So I just wanted to add that piece in, but uh, no, you can, you can go ahead and introduce our verse. Great. Agreed. Absolutely. Hopefully it'll be, uh, you know, connective and healing for folks as needed. Um, although by the time we get into the back end of Shemot, I, I don't know how many uh, verses related to mental and spiritual health we can find on like the second go round of uh, the building of the tabernacle. But uh Different colors of people's aura. Maybe that's where we'll go. Is that what you think I'm interested in exploring, Rabbi Shantz, that people's, people's auras? No, I didn't say that. I just said that's something we can do. <laughs> so judgy, Rabbi Shantz. <laughs> woo, woo, woo. Although watch, like a decade from now, I'm going to be like all about auras and I'll be eating my... Words. Aura words. Mm-hmm. Okay. Surely look at a verse, Rabbi Schatz. Um, this is a verse you guys likely have seen in some capacity or another before. Um, I'll give like brief context for it. I want to I want to name one contextual piece that I noticed that I thought was interesting, and I'll maybe like tease out a little bit kind of how I think this connects into concepts of mental and spiritual health and then reflections kushiot and then we'll kind of see where it goes from there um so there are there why have one when two are even better there isn't just one creation story there are two creation stories in our torah 
Um, you can talk about how you synthesize them or how they're different or different traditions or they're theologically different or they're telling what, however you want to understand it. So this is taken from chapter two in the second creation story. Um, and unlike in the first creation story, when we are told that that God created people, male and female, he created them. Uh, the second creation story is not told um, in the, that same sort of everybody all at once kind of way. We hear about how there is a one person who is placed in the garden and b- briefly, but clearly and somewhat poignantly hear about the challenge that this person faces and being the only person there. Um, and so there's this, a relatively um, well-known verse, chapter 2, verse 18. Um, it says, Vayomer Adonai Elohim, that the Lord God said. Always interesting to see those two uh, names of God um, sort of lined up next to each other. Lo tov heyot ha'adam levado. It is not good for man, although it says ha'adam, there's a definite article there. It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make for him uh, in Ezer Konegdo. <laughs> However you want to define that. What? Can you move your cursor so we can see? I can, and I will. And I did. Uh, I will make for him in Ezer Konegdo. Ezer, this idea of, of someone who helps, but Konegdo, like Neged is, is across from him. So, so it, it it translated here as I will make a fitting helper for him. Um, I don't, I don't love that translation. I, I think there, there is something about both helping, but also something that's not, not oppositional, but that there is something about that, that there is some, some back and forth. I will make for him someone to help him and also like be across from him. Right. When you think about, um, when you think about partnership, right? When you think about whether it's a romantic partnership or a close friendship or a professional partnership, like you don't, you don't always agree with that person, except for I always agree with Rabbi Schatz. But otherwise, um, you don't always agree with that person, right? And, and that's okay. And that's in fact part of a healthy relationship. Um, I'm going to tease out two pieces from this that I think are related to mental and spiritual health. I'll offer one contextual thing I noticed and then I will uh, for everyone's sake, blessedly be quiet for a moment. Um, so one piece that I think is just worthwhile to note is just the, the general challenge of being alone and how important it is to be connected f- to other people, which I don't think is, is an earth shattering revelation, but, but clearly emphasized in this verse. And again, whether that is a, close friend or a family member or uh, a life partner or whatever it is, just the, the clear value and importance of being connected to another person. I, I think we can talk a lot about that. Um, and concurrent with that as well, this sort of our articulation of what that person ideally is, like the, the role that that person might hold um, in connection with, in this case, Adam, or, you know, for ourselves. And so for us to each of them think about um, how do we navigate loneliness? How do we navigate the moments when we do feel alone? Um, and, and along with that, how do we seek out people to be in healthy relationship with and what that kind of relationship might look like? The contextual piece I want to layer in, and I, I never put these two pieces before, is that the, the two verses right before this also might look familiar to folks. When uh, God tells Adam, you can eat of any tree of the garden, except for the one that you can't, which of course foreshadowing ends up being the one that he eats from. Uh, you can eat from any tree of the garden, except for that one. Don't eat it. It's the bad one. Pay attention to that one thing that you're not supposed to do. Don't draw with crayon all over the tablecloth, he said right before his children drew all over the tablecloth crayon, right? Don't do the one thing that I'm telling you not to do. Um, and we know how the story goes from there. But I, I think it's interesting, and I have never noticed this, that those two verses are followed immediately um, by this verse about how it's not good to be alone and having an Ezer Konegdo, that when it comes to 
a framework for making healthy decisions and thinking about how to control our impulses, which I excel at always, or finding ways to, you know, check uh, the decisions that we might make that could be destructive to us. Um, there is a, a immediate recognition of the importance and the value of having someone with whom you are in relationship, that by having someone that you're close with, that is your Ezer Connecto, um, that you're not just doing this by yourself, that, that having that um, person to share um, that decision-making with can ideally, even though it doesn't work out in this case, but I'll keep it to these three verses for now, that it might hold out um, some framework for thinking about how to potentially make healthier uh, decisions. So that's sort of uh, a brief run through the, the narrative context for this verse and what it sort of um, pinged for me in terms of, of thinking about, you know, these, these adjacent topics. I'll pause there. Um, so I think we are going to still do Kushio like we, like we used to for our other class. Um, but the way that Rabbi Shabir and I were talking about it earlier was that if you would like to ask Kushio on the verse, great. Or if you'd like to ask Kushio kind of in connection to the mental health piece that Rabbi Shapiro brought up, also great. So the Kushio don't have to be um, as as textually focused if you wouldn't would like them to not be. Um, and then we can we can kind of take take those two types of kushiot and and run with them for the rest of class. So does anybody have any questions of either of those kinds um, about this this verse here, verse 18? Yeah, Rebecca. Let me know if you hear me well, because my computer has been doing weird things with sound. Oh. Um, so I don't have a question, but I... Um, while listening to Rabbi Shapiro, Shapiro and reading ahead, my interpretation of, of um, Pasuk 18 was that it was giving the, the introduction to the creation of the animals and sort of to, I guess, play uh, devil's advocate to, uh, to Rabbi Klickel's, um sermon from Yom Kippur, the idea would be that Man is alone, and animals were created to support man. And um, because it seems to to come right after that statement, that person that 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 man is alone, and therefore uh, he or she um, needs support. So um, that was just my um, my reaction to the to the to the pursuit and to the following pursuit. It's not really a pursuit; just a reaction. Okay. Thanks for the reaction. Um, I, Rabbi Shur, did you want to, you were scrolling around. So did you want to say something? I was just scrolling around to, so that folks could see what, uh, what Rebecca was referring to. Uh, okay. I'll, I'll, I will keep my peace for now. Okay. Um, Joanna. I just want to respond to Rebecca for a moment um, before I bring up my own thing, because um, I forget the name of our, the rabbi, and this book is quite old, but there's a rabbi who wrote a book of contemporary midrash. The title of the book is, Does God Have a Big Toe? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, Love and- that book. That's a great book. <laughs> it's a great book. If you If you haven't found it, read it, hopefully it's still accessible. And one of the Midrashim in that book is that um, God goes through this process of finding a helpmate for um, for Adam and, you know, tries all the animals and none of the animals prove to be, you know, various reasons why each animal isn't an appropriate helpmate. And then, you know, finally hits upon the idea of creating um woman and you know and lo and behold that's the appropriate helpmate so it very much picks up on on exactly what you were saying Rebecca obviously that rabbi also saw that that very same read of these verses um 
What I wanted to pick up on and comment on is I love particularly in um, in the creation story when we read Vayomer Adonai, because it begs the question, who is God talking to? And um, also, like there were times when you read the creation story carefully that God just acts and we don't get the preamble of Vayomer Adonai. And then God does what God said. And um it also brings up the interesting question, you know, in terms of mental health, um, you know, they're all kind of midrashim, particularly back in chapter one, when the creation of man is in the plural, Adam, we will make a person who's the we, that even God can't be alone, that there's this read of the text that even, you know, even God needs some form of companionship when you, when you look at the text that way. Mm-hmm. That's really beautiful. I've never, I've never connected those two moments of Naase Adam and um, Ezra Kenegdo. That's really the lonely man of faith. Yes, thank you. Um, yeah, but I, I've never, I've never connected that moment of like God realizing, or or us realizing that God has help, and then God realizing that we also need help, um, or partnership, or you know, just relationship in general. So I think that's that's quite that's. A, that's quite a beautiful connection across the Parsha. Um, okay, Denise, and then I'll let Rabbi Shapiro kind of respond to all of these things at once. So it's, I was struck that, you know, these are back to back about the tree and then it's not good to be alone. Yeah. And right, because we all know that she was the one that got him to eat from the tree. Yeah. Um, but what stands out to me there is that it seems like, even though they didn't follow the instruction and, and, you know, maybe it was a huge sin or whatever, there's still a sense, I think, in God's view that it was worth it, that it was that having people be together was important enough and valuable enough that even if they committed this huge sin, it was still the right way to have people, you know, because otherwise it could have been like, well, they ate from the tree and God saw that wasn't good and took her away or separate. And he didn't do that. I see. And so, so keeping them together, even though they made a poor choice together is what you're saying. The togetherness is what's important. I think so. Yeah. I think so. And also because it says here, like, as soon as you eat, you shall die. And obviously that's not how it went. And so maybe there was like a recognition on God's part of like, okay, let's chill out because the relationship is really more important. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I definitely, I, I definitely see that as, um, as also a very important note in terms of what the punishment could have been, right? And, and yet what was seen as the most important was not the separation of the two of them, but rather, you know, it's like when you give a whole class a punishment for one kid doing something and they all say, but why? We, I didn't do that. Only he did that. Oh, I hated that. Yeah, I'm so surprised that you hated that. Um, but really, it's because you're all in this together. So if one kid makes it bad for the rest of you, you all have to have the punishment, not just the one kid. Obviously, that's not always the case. But in this case, it was. And in some cases, that's that's how it has to work. Um, because if you're in it together, you you are affected by that, that domino effect, so to speak. Um, other questions or thoughts or comments on this piece? I'll just share that one of the things I was interested in in thinking about this through the lens of um, mental and spiritual health is that up until now, we've heard Vayahi um, Tov, right? That it, that it was good. Is it Vayahi? That's not right. Can you look, go up? Just quoted that incorrectly. Kitov, I just saw it. Okay. Um, so meaning the same thing as Vayahi would be like, behold, it was good, right? And because it was good, then they then it was moved on. Um but here it says Lotov, right? That there was actually something that needed to be changed. Um, and it was the first time that the Lotov came, came about. Um, and I, that was something that I had never focused on before, but that there was a moment, there's a commentary that I brought that I'm just not looking at, uh, at the second, but I'll try to find while Rabbi Shapiro is talking. Um, where the rabbi is speaking about how this was a moment where God recognized something needed to change. Right, that there needed to be some kind of difference, whereas the rest of creation, everything was good because 
that we didn't know any better, right? We didn't know if we needed more stars than were actually created or different kinds of animals than were actually created. But it was very clear, and maybe because of the connection that was brought earlier by Joanna, that it was very clear from the outset that it was not good for humans to be alone. And so that's the first time that we get low tov, which I thought was was quite um, was quite striking. So Rabbi Shabir, I'll turn it back over to you and then um, follow your lead on what we do next. You guys hear that? She's gonna follow. She's gonna follow my lead. This is the most exciting moment of my professional career thus far. So Rabbi Shaf, I'm so excited. Um, Rabbi Shapiro annoys Rabbi Shantz for 30 to 45. <laughs> um, first of all, uh, I'm very excited to be reminded of, does God have a big toe? And it's like taking all of my self-control not to order it immediately for my kids. Mark Gelman, for those who want uh, to know the author. Mark Gelman. It's a great book. I, I who, read does, who does a, not that you shouldn't come to Shul at Temple Beth Am, but Eddie Feinstein does a um, Torah study with Mark Gilman and Rabbi Sherry Zwelling Hirsch um, on Shabbat mornings at nine or nine thirty. I don't remember. Anyway, online, and um, it's a really it's it's a it's a very well done. I mean, it's Rabbi Eddie Feinstein, so everything is well done. But it's a very well taught and well done Torah Torah opportunity. And Temple Beth Am is lovely. So you should come to us on time and listen to that on Sunday. Yes. Don't miss Pesuke to Zimra over Zoom when you could hear that amazing Torah study. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a couple of <laughs> – I'm always on time for Shul, so I would never be late. Um, the the folks tell me you hold up this book. Do people know this book, Lonely Man of Faith? by uh, Rabbi Joseph Soloveitchik. So, th- so this, um, it's a relatively short book, which is always nice. You can you could probably read it over Shabbat, and it would probably take about 50 Shabbatot of reading it to like fully get it. It is a short book, but it is a, it is, it's really a, uh, an essay, but it's a dense essay. Um, and I think I understand some of it. Um, but the way the Rav um talks about faith is he talks a lot about loneliness. He also has, has sections where he talks about Adam one and Adam two, very much talking about these two creation stories. Um, but the, the essay starts this way. He says, the nature of the dilemma can be stated in a three word sentence. I am lonely, right? That's, that's how he starts the essay. Um, and he talks about just how it is, um, how his experience is loneliness, but then he says, um, even though he's talking about the challenge of feeling lonely, he says, I also feel invigorated because this very experience of loneliness presses everything in me into the service of God. That feeling an existential loneliness, right? Very, very sort of mid 20th century, this idea of existentialism and sort of feeling adrift in the world. And he recapitulates that from a sense of just being in isolation and, um, sort of like nihilism almost into saying the fact that I feel lonely is what, what prompts and encourages, encourages my religious and spiritual impulses, right? That's what actually pushes me in that direction. Um, and then he takes it even one step further. And then he sa- he talks about how God is lonely, how God is also lonely and that religion and spirituality can be the meeting point between two parties who feel existentially lonely, which is a, a really, really interesting concept to explore and wrap your head around. Um, and Joanna, per your comment in terms of comparing those two creation stories as well, when you talk about let us make man in our image, right? And then also this idea of why is God talking out loud, right? Sort of like, who, who is who is God talking to and what's happening there that this claim needs to be made that God God is lonely and God can then also in turn recognize loneliness um, in another in another party in another you know one of God's creations God knows what it's like to be lonely and God knows that it's not good to be alone so God's gonna work to try to help this person be less lonely. Um, which I think is a really b- beautiful way, right, of of thinking about how these narratives unfold. And again, like speaks speaks then to the challenge for each of us about 
how, how to feel less lonely while also per Rabbi Soloveitchik's statement, recognize that, you know, and I'll just speak for myself. Even when I'm with other people, sometimes I can feel very lonely. I was just going to say that. <laughs> even, <laughs> even when I'm with Rabbi Schatz, no. who can intuit my, my next sentence. Um, you know, life is lonely sometimes. Life is lonely sometimes. O- only I know what my experience is. Only I know what it's like to be me in the world. Um, you know, sometimes I can feel very connected even when I'm by myself, but sometimes I can feel extremely lonely when I'm by myself or even when I'm surrounded by other people, right? There is, there is something about just being one person in the world that sometimes feels lonely. And I think Rabbi Soloveitchik's framing of this as something that one um, can be that which brings us into a relationship with religion and spirituality is, is a really interesting reflection. And two, that there's something very, um, abstract but also reassuring in the sense that maybe you know even god knows what it's like to feel to feel ultimately lonely as well well before Um, before michael gets to go for a second um i the one thing i was going to say that you alluded to a little bit um is that i think that it's also presumptuous of god to assume that by just creating another human that was going to take care of the loneliness. Right. And I think that there are many people for whom we know who are in partnerships for years and feel very lonely. Um, whether that's because they just shouldn't be in that partnership or whether that's because a person is diagnosed with some kind of, um, you know, um, um, what's the word not disintegrating. Um, uh, Degenerative. Thank you. Degenerative, like mental, mental illness or capacity, right? That there, there are definitely ways in which someone who has Alzheimer's, right? There's, there's ways in which people can be in relationships if someone's abusive, right? There, that you would be surrounded by a human or lots of humans and yet you are going through your world alone. So uh, not to be critical of, of partnership because I do think in an ideal world, which is what God was creating, um, that is how you how you lack in loneliness. But I do think that it's also presumptuous that it would need to be a person um, to to kind of uh, combat that loneliness. Yeah, and and I and I think also I think um, I mean there have been essays about this. There there is so much today that gets put on a person's spouse or life partner, right? Like <laughs> to be their best friend, to be their companion, to do all their hobbies with them, to do other right. It hasn't always been this way, right? When we lived in larger family groups or even when people had, right? Like people know about Robert Robert Putnam's book, Bowling Alone, like the disintegration of third spaces. People used to have bowling leagues and sewing circles and all kinds of other areas that people could find companionship and connection. But because of larger sociological and cultural circumstances, those have disintegrated over the past few decades. It's a much larger conversation. But at the same time, much more gets put on spouses or life partners than used to be. Yeah. Yeah. And that's heavy, man. That's a lot. I, I love my wife dearly. She is a fantastic person and I get a lot out of my relationship with her. She hates, she didn't hate. She does not like concerts nearly as much as I do. And if I look to my wife as the only person with whom I can go to concerts with, I'm going to go to much less live music. I have other friends who I can do that with. And that's great. That's a very small and sort of like, you know, relatively minor example, but it's not fair to look to just one person. Right. Do everything free. It's not realistic. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Michael, you were going to say something eight tangents ago. <laughs> I'll just unmute, unmute first, Mike. No, I'm, I'm just uh, thinking that when Rabbi Soloveitchik talks about the Adam one and Adam two is, uh, I believe he's referring to, the tendency of the one to dominate. In other words, you know, uh, and it's it, it would be natural. I mean, uh, dominate others in their realm because we are supposed to, you know, as the verses say right after uh, the, the animals, and then we dominate to have another per or to have somebody there another person is in a sense uh 
to mitigate against this. And also in expanding on uh, what Rabbi Shapiro said, um, I think you're bringing up the, the point of community in a sense. I mean, once you have more than one person, you have community. Um, I mean, it's a, I mean, if that one person is a spouse uh, uh, or just a good friend, you, you do, you know, that, that mitigates against the tendency to dominate or, or since the Yitzhahara versus the Yitzhahatov. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and isn't that the center of Rabbi Soloveitchik's uh, dilemma? I mean, the loneliness is uh, his uh, struggle to find meaning in his relationship with God uh, uh, as we all struggled eat uh, all the time and, and yet uh, mitigate against this uh, domineering uh, aspect. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe, maybe we should do, maybe we should do a, a class on soul of nature. That'd be a good class. There's a lot in what you said, Michael, and that uh, I see Karen's hand. I just want to offer up and hopefully I'm not taking this thought from her, but you know, there's like a, there's a truism in the 12 step community that all you need to have a meeting is, is uh, two alcoholics and a pot of coffee and you can skip the coffee. Right. That 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 once you have that connection with another person, um, that's what can facilitate connection, community growth. Right. Like that. That's that's what's ultimately essential. Um, yeah, there, there's been research recently that has shown that like the, the opposite of addiction isn't recovery. It's connection. Mm-hmm. Right. Johan Hari has written a, a lot about this. Um and whatever the, the impulses might be or whatever the challenges might be, even if they aren't solved by being with another person, the, the pain of that is, is certainly yeah. mitigated and ameliorated. Mm-hmm. Well, and also, I think that, um, you know, what, what have we tried to do in the, in the time of COVID, but reach out to other congregants who may not? I mean, that's one of the first things that congregations did. They reached out. You know, they called just the call meaning so much mm-hmm. and uh, uh, to reconnect or as uh, the president of your show uh, uh, said in his uh, of our show once said in his what uh, said in his Yom Kippur address, a miss of an absent congregant is not a forgotten congregant, should not be a forgotten congregant. Yeah, for sure. Karen. Millions of thoughts, however. Depending on the people with whom I am in the presence of, that doesn't, uh, I have different needs and I am different with different. But recently I've been thinking about needing my husband, whom I love dearly, 40 years or so marriage to know exactly how I'm feeling and what I need when I'm feeling that. So any joke, any lightness makes me crazy. Mm. Makes me crazy. Because who else is going to know? And he knows me. And, he know, and who else is going to know not to make a joke about I don't know what? You know, dancing around the house. Oh, who knows what he's going to do? And I was talking to my sister who was going through something and I said, stop projecting your feelings on your daughter. You, as a kid, were lonely. Nobody heard you. Nobody responded. And now you And she said, I said, so know that the feelings you're feeling are really about you and your experiences of loneliness and who was there. And, and she said, oh, my God, you're right. I said, well, stop doing what you're doing. To my niece. No, but you know what I'm saying? So there is this connection of inside and outside. And who can really or should they? Why does my husband have to not be happy? Because I'm not. I mean, that's not fair. It is in my world. It is totally fair. But that's all. And I think that that's that's part of the that sense of loneliness, right? Like I want to be intuitively understood at all times. And if my mood has taken a turn for the rotten, 
you know, why, why doesn't, why, why don't the people who know me best immediately sense that and respond accordingly? Right. Cause, cause they're not telepaths because I haven't communicated to them. To them. And even if they did, it's not their business to change everything they're doing just because I've changed how I feel or what I'm doing. That's not fair to them. I wouldn't like that if that was expected of me. Right. But, but, but I, I resonate with that impulse, right? I want you to know exactly where I'm at and to therefore respond accordingly. I think it's a very child parent thing. Way, way back. Way back. With, you know, the symbiotic whatever. Just, just care. Care and take care of me. And so I think. Yeah. As a, as a fun window into Rabbi Matt Shapiro's emotional life. Um, when I'm feeling really frustrated and upset, I both want you to fix it for me and to leave me completely alone. So that's fun for everyone that I'm close to and who cares about me. Don't go anywhere and stay very close, but I also want the ability to, to, uh, to push you away completely. Um, it's really fun. Push you away because they're not getting it? Push away because they're not getting it. And also because I want to be alone, but I also don't want to be alone. I know. Yeah. Which is great. Better than I used to be, but still a barrel of laughs. Anyway, enough about me, Marlise and or Gary. Yeah, just, um, I mean, related to what Karen was saying about the child parent needs. I mean, I think it's noteworthy that when God says it's low tov for human to be alone, I mean, literally, we cannot survive as as children um, if we're not taken care of. And if our emotional needs aren't taken care of and our needs for touch, then we're going to we're not going to thrive. Um, so that's just, it's it's a biological need. And I also am just aware that with just in how these COVID times, and even with being able to go out and about, but a lot of people still wearing masks and even at shul that it's, it's still, it's, it's much better and it's good to have the in-person. It seems like there's certain things you, I mean, it's great to be talking to everyone here at the same time. There's certain things that are just not quite the same of not being in per in, in physical a relationship and even now with masks on it's not the same or, or not being able to get as close it's just it's not quite the you know need for connection is still it's met it's more than it than it was before but it's still not like it was you know pre-pandemic mm-hmm. yeah it's um there's certain just you know needs for touch need needs for you know spontaneously you know yeah and I- other people and I also think that some so much of the pandemic, <clears throat> I spoke a little bit about this on the high holidays, <laughs> so much of the pandemic has also taught us what it is that we need in terms of space or connection, right? That for some of us, we thought we were extremely extroverted. And in fact, we really enjoyed the time alone. Um, that is not you, Rabbi Shira. Uh, some of us didn't. But and some of us realize that we really need people around. Um, as soon as we were allowed back in the office, Rabbi Shapiro was in his chair um, because he he gets the energy from other people. And and so for some people that that stayed very much the same. But but as you're speaking to Marlies, just this this idea of not being able to hug somebody, especially during the time when like grandparents weren't able to hug their grandchildren or or just hang out with your children or, you know, what, whatever, whatever it was, but that element of how we're finding connection differently now, because there was a time when we had to. And I think that that's a huge piece of just like the learning that's come out, whether good or bad, but the learning that's come out of the pandemic for us, that there are ways to connect going back to Mike's point of just calling members to see how they're doing, right? There are ways to connect that don't have to be all in person. And yet there are still going to be things that cannot be um, replaced by that in-person touch or in-person connection. So uh, for me, that that is something that is constantly changing. Like we were, Rabbi Shabir and I were just talking about how these high holidays have been a lot of in-person time. We've spent a lot of time with hundreds of people over the past month. And I am very excited this Shabbat that I'm going to be at shul and work on, you know, tonight and tomorrow morning, but then I'm going to come home to an empty house because it's just, it's, it's been a lot. And, um, and I don't think a year ago, or I guess now a year and a half ago before COVID, I would have really 
ever felt comfortable or excited saying that I was excited to be alone on a Friday night. But that, that, that overexertion of being around lots of people used to just be the norm. And now we recognize that there's also this opposite side that brings us also elements of calm and satisfaction and um and and for some of us that's great and for others of us just like in the parsha that's loneliness and we need to find the people who we can spend that time with yeah karen just as an aside so yesterday i think it was yesterday two days ago i went to a doctor for a checkup and i found myself saying so how are your grandkids and well, i heard you had an operation on your knee how you doing because you're a surgeon, how to, you know, blah, blah, blah. Then I go to the wife who is in her office. Hi, hi, oh, how are you doing? How's blah, blah, blah. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, this is my checkup. All I need to hear from him is you're okay, which I heard, and now I need to connect with you. Maybe I'm just nosy, but I don't think it comes from there. And then I wonder, is it whose need? Is it mine? And is that okay with God or what? I know it makes people feel good to also hit, but I'm not doing it for that, am I? I mean, and then I could just be in the loony bin. Okay. Well, I think that I think that one of the things that you're also getting at, Karen, is this idea of Ezer Kenegdo doesn't mean just somebody who who is going to be good for you, right? Which is another thing to a whole another conversation for a whole another time. But just someone who's going to stand in front of you or sit next to you or be your chavruta and push you differently and reflect for you differently and, um, you know, it, um, uh, what's the word? Like reciprocate um, feelings and be able to um, to reflect things back and process with you. That's what an Ezer Connecto is, right? That It's a... It's not a mirror in the way that we use mirrors. It's it's actually someone who can be opposite to you in all the right ways so that you can feel that that push and pull of both being supported, but also knowing that there are certain things that you need to work on that hopefully this person is going to be able to help you with. Um, and though none of the rabbis say, you know, uh, that opposites attract um, in that kind of language, there is a lot of there is a lot of language around a person who has elements that you don't have that are then completed by being with this other person in front of you. Um, just to, because we just started our Torah at the end of our Torah, we hear a lot of this opposition, um, but it's with God at the end. So just that, that interesting piece of, you know, how do we also find this in our own spiritual practice? It doesn't have to be with another person. It can also just be in our own, um, working through the spiritual parts of ourselves and what it is that's bringing us the most uh, satisfaction and um, fulfillment in our spiritual practice and what needs to change and what, what do we need help with um, growing. Joanna. I just wanted to pick up a little bit on what you said um, just now about like your enthusiasm about coming back and having a quote unquote lonely Shabbat by yourself at home after services um, that as much as we think we need togetherness and we do, if we were always together all the time, there would be no such thing as togetherness, right? So uh, it might be a continuum, but we all need loneliness at least some small percentage of the time in order to appreciate togetherness. Um, And just to share a personal story, after I got divorced, um, those first many number of Shabbatot were difficult in that um, I had tons of friends around me who were looking after me and having me for meals. And occasionally, as I always had before, I would host. But invariably, there would crop up that Friday night or Shabbat afternoon where I had no plans for lunch. And especially when that would happen on a week when my kids were with their father, I would get into this space of like being terribly lonely and this isn't how Shabbat is supposed to be and like being kind of miserable. And um, I fortunately was smart enough and it wasn't even intended. I met a good friend of mine for lunch one day 
And somehow that just came out. And she reflected back to me, can you redefine those Shabbatot? Can a great Shabbat be a Shabbat where you don't have to kill yourself cooking and preparing and being exhausted and, you know, having quiet space to read a really good book and have a great glass of wine? You know, could you reframe that for yourself as, you know, sometimes that's a great Shabbat. And it completely flipped me. And um, what I realized was I wasn't appreciating the together time even in that span of my life because I was so worried about the lonely time and was I going to be together with someone and whatever that it even took away from the together time. And once I could reframe what it meant to be by myself, it also allowed me to appreciate together time much more. Yeah, I love that. When I lived in Northern, sorry, my wife should You can have the last word. Oh, this is the last time I'll speak and then you can finish the class. Um, you have so much to say about mental and spiritual growth, Rabbi Schatz. Well, you spoke for the better part of the a third, the three quarters of the class. So now I'm just trying to get a word in. Um, what do you but think? when I lived in Northern California, um, part of, part of what was difficult for me, though I loved the job and I loved the community, part of what was difficult for me was that there wasn't so much of a Shabbat meals community like Vetham is very different in that way but many people didn't have Shabbat dinner in kind of the same traditional way we also had services that are randomly bad time it was services were always at 7 30 it didn't change throughout the year and 7 30 is just a bad time except for if you have little children at home um because then you're eating dinner either at 9 p.m or at 5 p.m and that just doesn't usually work if you're in your 20s um so I very rarely had Shabbat dinner plans and Saturday lunch. We had like a kiddush at shul, which meant that I schmoozed with an entire congregation. But there was no kind of everyone went to Costco after shul. Like there wasn't really a, a Shabbat experience um, in the community after that. And so I heard a lot of the same kind of advice that that you just shared with us that. Just because Shabbat has looked different for you at a certain point in your life, what can it look like now, right? What can those moments, we all talked about this during the pandemic, what can these moments that are so drastically different than how you would ever experience things before, how can they be new and probably not all the time great, but new and different and find different pieces of yourself and have that be something that you look forward to, or at least that you're discovering. So I just want to share that because I think that, that that is something that we, we all go through at different times and don't necessarily talk about enough. Um, but that, uh, but that is a good practice for all of us, even if we're partnered, it's a good practice for us to kind of reframe, um, elements of normal life, so to speak. Okay. Rabbi Shapiro and then Rebecca and Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for calling on me, Rabbi Shant. Why didn't Rebecca go and then I'll, I just want to say something really briefly as a parent who was home with three kids for the last year and a half. Um, totally off that time with adult sometimes. <laughs> Way too much of a good thing. I was completely overwhelmed. I want people to leave me alone for two-thirds of the day, completely. And I don't know if that's normal or not, but that was completely my experience. So it's really good that kids grow up, that they learn how to walk at some point, at some point, and they leave the room and they don't keep coming back. So that's just, you know, part of it. And then my son is going off to college next year. So I realize that I'm going to miss this year. There's that balance that we keep um, trying to find the right spot. Uh, I definitely resonate with that. I think everyone knows I was also home with three kids who I love dearly and who are very loud. They take after their mother um, for the better part of um, of the past year and a half, which also impacted my eagerness to get back to the office. Um, but even as someone who is, who is quite extroverted, um, there was, there was one day pre-Chagi, maybe about six weeks ago when I was, you know, coming from home from the office, like five 30 or whatever it was. And, Sarah had taken the kids back out for some reason, was like out, not just for a walk around the block, was that, and I had like an hour and a half in the house by myself, and it was fantastic. It was so great, Tov Hayot Adam Levado in that scenario, um, but, um, you know, it was, um, it, it was really 
lovely in that moment to actually have some time um to myself so as i think as i think most folks are saying like there's there's definitely a dance uh, a dance there to be sure um in terms of time by oneself and time around others and also the fact that you can be around other people and feel very lonely and be by yourself and feel very connected the one other piece i just want to kind of squeak in there Rabbi Shanth mentioned some time ago when um, she referenced the the larger creation narrative and how we're hearing about how it was good and how it was good and how it was good and how we hear here that it was not good and how how much that's in contrast with the narrative that has come before. Um, the the fact that it's not good is what prompts change, right? And I think that that is very often the case in a whole host of areas. Um, like the, the the example that came up all the time in my previous job was right. You, you don't you don't move into rehab when things are going awesome, right? Generally, things are 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 fairly not good uh, if you're if you're moving into bait chuva, right? Um, and that's obviously an extreme example, but in our everyday patterns, in the way we interact with others, in the way we think about ourselves, right? Like that there is there is something to recognizing that there's something that really isn't working that can then prompt um meaningful change um and i think that when we think about and that and that can be applied in a host of of areas but when we think about feeling lonely as well right if if i'm feeling in a way that that's really not working for me um then that can in turn prompt the question okay well i'm i'm feeling this way what what's that going to then compel me to do to try to address this um, this challenge that I'm experiencing? Um, so I think that there's that there's something to you know that that linguistic juxtaposition um, that resonates on that emotional level as well. Um, and with that, I'll say I hope everyone, whether you are by yourself or with others, I hope you feel connected this Shabbat in whatever way feels uh, necessary and meaningful to you uh, and still accepting names uh, for whatever this reframed, completely different, but still similar class might be. Rabbi Shapiro knows Rabbi Shots for 35 to 40 minutes is probably a bit long to go in the week at a glance. And we'll take it from there. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.